Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a global beauty analyst here at Mintel. And today I'm joined by my amazing colleagues, Diana and Jane, to talk about the changing face of brand loyalty, including some of the shifts that we've seen during the pandemic and what we expect in future. So to get us started, can I be ask you both to very briefly introduce yourselves. So let's start with Diana. Hi, everyone. I am Diana Kelter. I'm a senior trends analyst at Mintel, uh, specializing in North American trends coverage, so the U.S. and Canada. I am currently based in Austin, Texas, um, and I have been working on trends coverage at Mintel for the past three years. Hi, everyone. My name is Jane Herr. I'm an associate director on our purchase intelligence tool, which provides us with consumer perceptions on new food and drink launches in the United States. I've been at Mintel for the past three years, a little over three years, um, working closely with Diana and company to um, service our clients and answer questions on why consumers buy what they buy. Amazing. Thank you both. So I'm going to go big. I'm just going to go straight in with the question. So do we think brand loyalty has changed during the pandemic? And if so, how do we think it has changed? I think this is such a good question, just broadly, um, because we know that, you know, consumers are facing very unique financial challenges due to the pandemic. And so they're having to reprioritize value. Um, We know this, we actually have, you know, Diana's team has come up with these great global consumer trends, one of which is priority shift. Um, And that essentially is talking about how value, um, you know, when it comes to value, our pandemic shocked consumers are seeking a return to what's essential. Um, They're having to prioritize what they absolutely need, not necessarily what they want. Um, and so I think it's critically important for brands to keep value top of mind, but that doesn't necessarily mean the lowest prices, right? It's about um, balancing quality. It's about answering the needs as they might arise, providing value and flexibility rather than just going for the lowest possible numbers. Yeah, I'm just going to build off that. And thanks for the kudos around trends. They really <laughs> set the stage to bring the job. Um, So I'm going to build on that and I'm actually going to reference, I'm going to give a shout out to some other episodes we have of Little Conversation. There was one um, a couple weeks ago about virtue signaling from brands and what what are consumers really looking for when it comes to, we know brands are all, we have another trend at Mintel called moral brands. And that's really taken off the past, even before COVID, we were really seeing this humanization of brands where people want brands to be like their friends. They want them to stand for something. They want them to showcase values. And the conversation was like, how do we know brands are truly living this ethos and what is virtue signaling? And it led to some really good conversation from some of our analysts um, about kind of what consumers look for. And we know at the end of the day, consumers do want their brands. They want to feel good about what they buy. But they're not going to put that above, does this product work? Does this product taste good? Does this product delivering, if it's beauty, is it giving me the results I want? So we know when it comes to this idea of loyalty, I'm glad Jane brought up our global trends. And they're really framed around these trend drivers we created. And I think when we think about brand loyalty 
in a COVID-19 world, we're really seeing it's becoming about value of some of those constants, the convenience, the price, the quality, which are always going to be important. But then we're seeing this other aspect come into the forefront, which is that experiential component that's a little more subjective. And I think that's really taken off more during COVID-19 because we see consumers have been limited in what experiences they've always had to go. They had to go more inward. Um, they weren't traveling. They weren't doing dining out as much. They were kind of stuck in their homes. So consumers really turned to brands to provide those resources they were looking for. But they're also like, I want to get an experience from this product. I want it to make me feel something. I want to get this sensory experience. I just want to have it deliver something unexpected. And that could be through customer service. That could be through the, like I mentioned, the sensory component of that. But I think we've really seen the biggest shift, I would say, is this merger of value and then experience um, coming together and brands trying to find that in between to drive loyalty. Yeah, I actually have a stat on that. So on, in our COVID-19 impact on food and drink report, we see that approximately 35%, I believe, like a third of consumers have said that they've at least tried a different brand during COVID. Um, and when we asked those folks why they made those changes, the same percent of folks who said that they did so for a lower price said they did so just for a change in their routine, mm-hmm. which I think is exactly in line with Diana saying of they're looking for better value, quote unquote, but that might include this massive myriad um, sort of reasons behind or reasonings behind what constitutes value for our consumers. Yeah, and I think that leads very nicely onto my next question because the next thing I was going to say was around what's happened during the pandemic and the growth online that we've seen and because we've seen very similar stat in our beauty and personal care reports where consumers are trying lots of new brands and what we've put that down to is this growth in online which gives consumers kind of more choice than ever before. And so with that in mind, do you think it's going to be more challenging for brands to stand out in future? And you know, how do brands obtain loyalty when they're in that kind of crowded space now and competing and online yeah this takes me back the three of us kind of gathered was it 2019 we gathered to talk about decision making so we're we're a a trio here that's talked about this before so i love that we got back together um but if i refresh what we talked about back in 2019 which i think is such a perfect time frame because we've obviously gone through such a major shift in 2020 for us now to come back and talk about loyalty and how consumers make choices now. I remember back then we talked about like the influence of direct-to-consumer brands, which obviously were and still are very primarily online only, and how they were kind of helping consumers with decision-making, cutting through choices. And I think what's interesting as we kind of reflect now on some of these online-only brands and legacy brands, it all goes back to who creates, who has the trust of the consumer, I think that's what it really comes down to. And I think we've seen the past year, some of these legacy players, my head always goes to a trusted brand like Clorox, which was like, obviously, you know, flying off of shelves in March, 2020, because people trusted it. They knew that was a product that was going to um, work. And so we saw some of these brands that had years of trust built into their brand ethos, be the ones that consumers gravitated to. And then we see it flux back to consumers wanting to try new products or go back to maybe some of those clean, natural products that they've uh, used in the past. So we've seen it kind of ebb and flow, but it really goes back to the idea of trust isn't a static concept. It goes back to, I trust that this brand has delivered because they've 
to have, give me their word on customer service. And now I trust them because they return without any questions or, or it could be that product trust. So I think that's what's really interesting. We've seen that ebb and flow quite a bit, but I also think it's, it kind of goes back to this um, idea of the front and back end experience as well. Consumers have really looked to brands to be this resource for them. And I think the brands that don't just say, well, I gave you a product, our relationship's over until the next time you come in. I think we're seeing a lot of brands say, come back and we'll recycle that for you. Or come back and we're doing a run. We're doing a community run this week. Come back to our store and meet new people. I think brands that don't just think of this transaction are really driving loyalty as well, especially at a time. Back to my first point, we've all been isolated. So we're really looking for these connectors in our life. And I think brands that do that well have the loyalty. And I would just add here, I love the idea of how do we, I mean, capitalize is such a, (laughs) is such a utilitarian term for it, but how do brands capitalize on the ebb and flow of trust? How do we, um, capitalize on trust to be a breakthrough brand that offers innovation that maybe consumers didn't think was possible or wasn't being offered by the brands that they sort of like know and love already. Um, Working in purchase intelligence, I can tell you like, you know, back to Diana's earlier point, value and taste are top of mind or price and taste are top of mind um, when consumers are sharing what motivates their purchase decisions. However, oftentimes those established brands, um, they just have that cachet of trust that the taste is going to be there because folks have experienced the products previously and they know that it's not going to be... as risky of an investment, right? So then like that value and that price piece are there also. But the disruptor brands being able to offer consumers something new and different that scratches an itch they maybe didn't know that they had is such a valuable thing as well. And to create trust, answering questions that go beyond that like taste, Right, like saying that we're more we're a more sustainable alternative, we're a more you know responsible alternative, we're a better ethical brand. Um, I think that's such a, an interesting dynamic. And then also to your latter point about making sure that we that consumers have an end to end sort of seamless experience. I know I'm jumping way ahead, but like technologies that are predictive and offer consumers promotions that are relevant to them at the appropriate times, I think will be so invaluable for brands moving forward, you know, in this cluttered e-commerce space. Hmm. I'm actually going to jump on that bandwagon, Jan, uh, Jane, about technology because I was just writing yesterday, um, writing a trend observation about this new collaboration between Bear Paint and Spotify. Um, and I think Spotify does a really great job, as do a lot of streaming services, about using, as I talked about earlier, that sensory experience to help make choices feel more personal and um, connected to all these other elements of your life. And so I think what, th- what this partnership does is Bear Paint works with Spotify to create this interactive tool that allows you to visualize what the music you like would look like in color. So it creates this tool that if, based on your playlist, and they partnered with Katy Perry to kind of be the the spokesperson for it, but it would take your playlist and it would take your mood of what you're listening to and be like, this is the palette that we see reflects what, what you're feeling, what you're listening to, who you are. 
And we know consumers love that because it feels personal. It feels visual. It's bringing more to life from one part of your life to another. And it, it really does bring to life this balance of we're leaning into sensory experiences more because we're spending so much time on screens and we're desiring to feel something. But then on the flip side, technology is also helping us bring these things together. So it kind of goes back to there's always the flip of a coin. There's the negatives of technology, but then there's also the benefits that it does kind of create this ecosystem to connect the dots across everything. I love that because that's so authentic as well. Because actually, I, I can't remember the name of it and it's it's lost on me now. But there's essentially some of the best like musicians can see colors when they record music. Yes. So yes. It's, is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. And it's so yeah. interesting how authentic that is. But as you say, it kind of reflects where we are now because it's, you know, playing on this idea that we're looking for those kind of digital experiences mm-hmm. now as well. For sure. So next question for you both. So do you have any brands that you think garner kind of particularly strong customer loyalty for some best in practice examples? And why do you think if you do have any examples, why do you think those brands kind of manage to achieve that level of loyalty? So my head always goes to outdoor brands. I feel like they do a really good job of kind of building community, which translates to a sense of loyalty. Um, like I think of Patagonia's built up a really good base of consumers or um, REI has built up loyalty because they expand into like actually having travel. They help you plan this like destination trip or they help with resources of learning how to camp. So I think from a resource perspective, I've, I've heard a lot of people go back to REI because they've had this trusted experience. Um, but I think brands that are built around, I think why my head went to outdoors is because it's a passion-based audience to begin with. And so brands can kind of play, not play into it, but work around that passion. And it's inherently going to be less about a transaction because you're sharing this passion together. The outdoor brand is part of it. They have this community where they're like, oh, we're going to, Joint, we're going to host a running group or we're going to teach you how to set up a tent. So there's just this expansion of how far it can go and how big that connection can be. And it's, oh, it's welcoming, I think, to beginners when you're like, you know, a lot of things can be intimidating for someone to jump into when it's activity based. But I think when it comes to the outdoors, there's so many different angles to jump in that I think these brands do a good job of just being that welcoming space and being a resource and not just, we're going to sell you this hiking boot and then we're going to walk away. So I think that my head went to that space just because it kind of leans into that community loyalty component really well. And it aligns authentically that brand mm-hmm. community initiative with sort of the brand proposition of an REI, right? Like it's right. a more responsible, holistic solution. Um, and a lifestyle choice rather than just like a one-off, like, oh, I need a sleeping bag. I'll just like run in here. It's like, okay, then why not just right. like go to Target? <laughs> it's like right. cheaper and it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's because they have professionals who seem to genuinely care about cultivating that passion, as you said previously. Mm-hmm. One one brand, quote unquote, community that I think is sort of funny and uh, I don't know, it's maybe value driven, but um, like Trader Joe's, yeah. Just the level of fan love that um, Trader Joe's elicits from shoppers. Maybe it's because they're answering the um, the need for a wide 
variety of relatively high quality products at an affordable price, um, providing convenience with high quality packaged items. But yeah, I, I have a Trader Joe's, Joe's down the street and I've like never jumped on that bandwagon. I do think, I'm glad you brought up grocery stores though, because I'm a food lover. I'm a person who, as I know you are, Jane. And I do think there is a, you have this loyalty to your stores, your grocery stores. And so I just, as I mentioned up front, I'm based in Austin, Texas, and I'm a transplant here. I moved here from Chicago about six months ago. And it was wild to me how much I learned that HEB is a beloved grocery store chain institution yes it is loved and i know Publix is the same um kind of that 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 same mentality and what i've realized is is they really have such a strong private label um foundation throughout the store as well so it's the institution it's what they do for the community they're really kind of the same thing we've always seen from walmart is that they embed themselves in the community but it's also clearly that their products are good too they have these strong products that people that once again, it goes back to taste. Their products live up to what you would expect from a bag of chips or an ice cream. So it kind of goes hand in hand. And then as I was giving my earlier answer about what stores drive loyalty, and you brought it up, Jane, I do have to say I have to give kudos to Target as well as a brand retailer that's always been I love Target. a loyal base. I do too. We all, we all have the Target curse where you go in for one thing and you leave with like a shopping cart full of stuff. And I really do feel like Target did experiential retail before it was a trend, before it was something we talked about because it wasn't experiential in the sense of we're going to have a pop-up or we're going to host an event. It was the brand was the experience. You know, there's blogs that talk about how moms go to Target just to get a break and that's their away time. Or, you know, people go there just because they want to browse the aisles. So it was really, they built the experience through the brand identity of the brands they highlighted, the way the store was laid out, just the experience as a whole. So I do think Target was ahead of that trend in terms of loyalty through not just like we're going to create an experience, the brand itself is the experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think from, because I'm going to throw in a few beauty examples as well, just because I can't help myself. But I think what we see in beauty is that, as again, it's coming back to this idea of creating a community around brands. So we see brands like kind of Glossier and those kind of brands cultivating a real genuine loyalty, you know, even from like involving them in the process of developing new products and talking to their customers about what they actually want as opposed to telling them what they want things like that i think are so interesting and i think brands who manage to achieve that are the ones who are gonna succeed going forward and then on that note i'm gonna flip it back to you were talking about grocery and i think that's an interesting point to come back a little bit and think about what happened during the pandemic and because in the uk we have a similar thing where lots of people are quite loyal to certain retailers you know we've got our big big four grocery retailers in the uk and people tend to stick with them but during covid there was a lot of disruption people couldn't get online deliveries with their favorite um grocers for example and then that made them switch and now they've almost switched their brand loyalty to the people who supported them during the pandemic so i think with that in mind i think it plays quite nicely into the fact that you know very few brands get it right all of the time and with social media there's a lot of scrutiny on brands so how important do we think it is for brands to be open and honest when things go wrong and they don't live up to expectations and how can they kind of offset the pressure from competitors by doing so 
Yeah, that's a really great point. And I feel like I can go on a, a personal tangent about all my habits during the pandemic because I will admit I was, you know, the hardest shift for me um, when lockdown started was I am not a great meal planner. Like I would always do the impulse, like I'm going to go get what I need for this meal. So I would be the frequent going to Trader Joe's, going to the grocery store because I didn't think ahead. But then when the pandemic hit, we were forced to limit our time in stores. We all kind of had to become meal planners. And so my, what my curiosity was personally, and then as an analyst was, is this going to stick? Are these habits that I've been forced to think two weeks in advance. Is that going to be a habit that shifts as we're allowed to kind of go back to some of our old habits? And I will say, no, I've returned to my bad habits of going to get like four things or one meal Um, because it's just who I am. Like it's how, you know, I was kind of raised with that mentality of kind of being an impulse shopper and not really thinking ahead. And I do think, you know, if I, I would imagine we've seen most people kind of go back to some of their old habits die hard is kind of that saying what we're used to we kind of fall back into those rhythms and but I think what brands and retailers like you said maybe people try new things when they were in lockdown and all of a sudden they're like oh I really do like this I'm going to stick with this and the retailers have to find a way to get into the everyday routines of consumers to be that loyal one and that could mean they found a new brand that's delivering that or maybe they did it for a little while and they realized they went back to that that store they used to go to and they remembered, oh, I really like this. And then they kind of go back to that. So I think brands, retailers just have to find those everyday habits and make that feel, they. that's where they have to hit the mark. When we kind of went back to the beginning, we talked about value and experience. That experience is what consumers are going to remember. Like if you did curbside pickup, and it's consistently very smooth the first few times you do it, you're going to be like, oh, this is actually way easier than I thought it was. I had that experience with like mobile ordering in some places, or I always worried, is this going to be more of a pain to try to do this, wait for them to, like, because some places don't operationally have a good setup. So you don't know what to expect. You're like, I'm just going to do it myself because I don't want to deal with that. So I think the brands that can deliver a strong experience that first time someone's trying it, that's going to remember that experience. And that's where that habit's going to come from. And suddenly that's their new brand loyalty. So I think that it's those everyday experiences. And if you're offering something more into the technology realm of delivery or curbside pickup or self-checkout, that's where you want to make sure your everything's in order because that's what consumers are going to remember. It's not going to be, it's going to be obviously what products you offer, but it's going to be that checkout experience, that seamless transaction um, that consumers will remember from a convenience perspective, for sure. I just want to build off of what Diana's talking about in terms of like habits and how difficult it is to break consumers out of a habit because I'm just going to cite a personal sort of predicament (laughs) or dilemma that I'm experiencing. A certain clothing brand that I previously had a very positive experience with last summer, two summers ago, um, because summer's almost over now. Um, I'm not going to let go until I absolutely have to let go. Um, but two summers ago, essentially, there were several very troubling stories that came out about their sort of ethical practices and um, just, you know, the, the personal beliefs of the founder of the company, etc. And for some reason... I don't believe that there was any, you know, statement that was put out really or action that was taken, initiatives that were implemented to um, resolve some of the issues that came up. And I 
you know, want to refresh my wardrobe and would love to get some basic pieces because to me, that's the value calculus that I've done and I want to patron that brand. However, they haven't come out and done quite enough to um, put those issues to bed for me personally. And so that does come into the equation for me as a consumer. Um, And I do feel that a lot of the initial push of the brand and popularization included a lot of like virtue signaling, green washing, and this sort of perception of allyship to marginalized communities when in truth, they weren't actually doing what they said they were doing. And to me, that's such a huge problem greenwashing, virtue signaling, all these like new buzzwords that are coming up about to, to critique brands that say one thing, but don't actually follow through. Um, I think, you know, Diana, if you have any other great examples of brands, you know, like walking that talk, I'd love to hear them. But I wasn't able to find a ton of brands who like really came out and, and swung back and and did the right thing when they were called out for mistakes. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's so hard because I feel like the hard part is we're all only getting snippets of conversations from what brands are doing at a time. So we're, it, we always are kind of putting the story together uh, gradually. We're never just getting the yeah. full. We might be happy they did this and then something else comes out and then we have to change our opinion. And I think it's exhausting as a consumer to follow this. You just want to find a brand you like. And so, and you don't want to have to continually as a consumer, when we go back to our, the conversation we had in 2019 about decision paralysis, it can become overwhelming. And it really ties into, we talk a lot about burnout for consumers when it's these decisions that can just be overwhelming. When you try, you feel like you have to do, be an ethical shopper, put, you know, take this chance. And I think we have, this was discussed in the virtue signaling podcast um, as well, but it talked about some data that shows uh, consumers say they want to support brands that share their values or consumers that are prepared to boycott brands that don't. And it overwhelmingly displayed, and this was a US report, I'm sure there's similar stats for the UK, but it really showed more consumers want to support brands that are doing the good thing versus no one wants to boycott a brand because that takes effort. And that then you have to, you know, it's not a convenient to find a replacement. We want to just support the good brands. So I think sometimes as consumers, we take the approach of, okay, maybe they're not hitting everything, but they're hitting what's personal to me in the right way. So I think then consumers and everyone has different issues that they're going to care more about. So they're going to go to, everyone's going to rank those things differently um, so I think a brand that I always kind of reference is kind of coming off with this moral, this stance of what they care for would be like Allbirds. They've always said we're a sustainable brand. That's our number one. And we're going to focus on other things like, you know, they obviously want to focus on employee care or um, societal issues more broadly, but sustainability was what they came out with. And I feel like they've continually put out transparency about this is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing on this. Could we be doing better? Yes, we're going to work on that. But I think, so I think it's always about finding what your core is and then building from there that the brands that do really well, because they know what their ethos is. They know what they stand for. Um, So I always come back to those examples of brands that just kind of know what their core is. Yeah. And I like that. It's just about sometimes just simplifying the message as well, isn't it? And as you say, being very straightforward. Right. Um, I'm going to move the conversation on a little bit now and talk about 
the role of reward and loyalty schemes, which obviously reward and loyalty schemes have been around for a long time. We've got an interesting stat in one of our upcoming UK beauty and personal care reports, which says that 44% of beauty and personal care consumers would choose one retailer over another if it had a good reward or loyalty scheme. So they're obviously still important, but I feel like there's maybe not enough emphasis put on them and there's not enough exciting things happening. So I'm interested to think to see if you guys think agree and if you think there's anyone who's doing anything interesting in that space. That's such a good question. Yeah. I feel like loyalty, traditional loyalty rewards, and I'd be curious to hear from both of you when it comes to like Gen Z and their approach, but I feel like the way we think of loyalty rewards in terms of you shop here, you get stars for every purchase. I mean, that really, I don't know if that's hitting the mark with younger consumers as much just because as Jane was talking about earlier with food or just drink, like, you want to try something new. There's this desire for consumers to try something new. And so I do feel like because this generation has so many more options and their in, their Instagram feed is constantly showing them all these options, I think it's a much harder hill to climb for brands to create that, well, you know, buy enough products here and you'll get free rewards. I think we still see it. And I do think I think clothing brands are still doing it fairly well. Like Madewell, I know, has the, you know their rewards program or um, Target. If you shop there, you just put your phone number in. So I do think we're seeing it. I'm just curious. I do feel like this younger generation, it's one more thing to keep track of once again. So it kind of goes back to, are they keeping track of it? Do they even care if they're told they have this, if it's not what they want at that moment? I just think this amount of options makes this traditional way we think of loyalty very different. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Yeah. We actually published a report on loyalty programs last September. So exactly a year ago. Um, and I think it speaks to a lot of that issue of it's contributing one more variable to have to consider mm-hmm. when consumers yes. are already faced with too many data points coming up with their decisions. Um, I think over half of consumers who subscribe to loyalty programs say that they don't actually derive sufficient value from loyalty programs. And I think our analyst makes these, you know, has some great insights around or observations around brands needing to, especially during COVID, really emphasize flexibility and sort of like compassion when thinking about how consumers are going to redeem the rewards um, quickly and efficiently. So removing as many restrictions as possible. So instead of having to get stars, just convert it directly to savings, right? Um, And creating that sense of immediacy and urgency and you know, come in and spend the money that you have with us already because you've built up this cachet as a loyal patron. Um, Our analyst in the loyalty program also uh, mentions um, like hotels and airlines as having done a particularly good job. I mean, out of necessity, of course, because no one was traveling, but um, they are allowing folks to use points that were earned at their brand on things like groceries and like true essentials. And I think that's sort of like just open-minded, really innovative approach to what does it mean to be loyal to a brand and what does the reward, what is the reward for being loyal to this brand mean um, is going to be 
vitally important moving forward. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think because thinking from both of your points actually made me think of what we've got. We've got in the UK a scheme called Nectar, which has lots of different companies signed up to it. So you get rewards for train tickets, you get rewards for grocery, but they're all in one place. So it's quite it's quite convenient to have that. So I think there's probably more space for more of those overarching loyalty schemes that collaborate and bring together brands because it facilitates that experimentation as you say that consumers are craving and on top of that I think I'm always really interested when brands reward consumers for different things so different things beyond spend so I think one really nice example that I spotted recently was I went into a Levi's store and they had they reward you when you if you've got their app and you're signed with their loyalty scheme they reward you for just visiting a store so just walking into the store you get a reward for that you get some points for that and i think that's like you know that would encourage me if i was close enough to that store you know i would that would encourage me to go in there much more frequently because and visit that brand and immerse myself in that brand so i think it's again it's about thinking about that and you know, yeah. thinking of exciting ways that you can, as you say, just appeal to your customer and actually reward them for just being there and supporting you, not just spending with you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's like heels here also. Actually, if you return um, plastic containers of their products, if you, if you, if you, um, I'm sorry, if you return the empty containers, they give you points, which then you can redeem for products at mm-hmm. their store. Yeah, Lush does that too, where if you return like five, you get a free face mask or something, which I, yeah, I think that's, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Jane. It's not just about stars. It's about, are you offering a value to me that goes beyond this product? But I think stores that are offering, like, um, I know Kohl's does with this Amazon, but this service called Happy Returns, um, which was really utilized for like online only retailers. Um, there's brick and mortar partnerships like Paper Source and Cost Plus World Market were the main brick and mortar retailers that had this partnership. But basically, you could walk into a Paper Source, which is a stationary store, take your online purchase, if it was like a shirt or shoes, and then you barely even need the receipt. They just look up the barcode, find it in the system, and then you're done. And then you can go buy a card for someone <laughs> that you need. So I love that. And I think PayPal actually just acquired Happy Return. So I imagine there's going to be even more expansion of it. But that's what I think brands need to focus on. Where are you offering a value to this inconvenient part of life? Like we know returns are stressful. We know um, recycling is very complex and stressful. So how, if you have a space, if you have resources, can you take that burden off of the consumer? And that's what's really going to drive loyalty. You're taking a major burden off of their plate. And especially if it's something that's on their way home, it's on their neighborhood block, anywhere that they're going to pass by, you're automatically going to get those feet in the door because you're offering them a service. So I think that's how we're seeing loyalty really take shape. Amazing. I'm really intrigued in terms of what we think in terms of if there's different loyalty drivers amongst different demographics in my head i think there's definitely an argument that you know young consumers for example are driven far more by eco and ethical um statements from brands that say they're all the counterpart and so i'm really with on that note i'm really interested in whether that will shape loyalty in the future because if consumers are You know, if young consumers are more driven by things like ethics, which we've spoke about a few times in this podcast, does that mean that in future that's going to be the, you know, front and center of loyalty? Or do we think as consumers age, 
their loyalty drivers will shift and shape and become more like their, you know, their older counterparts, so to speak. I think we're all millennials on this call, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't yeah. know if this is the idea. Yeah, maybe we're not the people to ask. <laughs> well, we can lean into the data. We can see what our data tells us. <laughs> um, so one thing I think is interesting, I think with Gen Z, I think they have been exposed to so much more at a younger age because they have the, you know, the internet and their phones uh, everywhere so they can research, they can track, they can see things, which I also think goes back to for this generation, what we were saying, we feel as millennials and every weird, that becomes exhausting as well to keep up with that. And so I think we are going to see they're going to challenge brands. It's just going to become an expectation from them that brands do more, that they put their, like we were saying earlier, it's not just lip service that they actually, they're going to be challenged. And I think we're going to see brands challenge other brands. So it's not just going to be consumers saying we need this brands that have stand by something are also going to challenge to legacy brands. So I think that's, what's going to lead to a lot of just continued change as well, because it's not just going to be coming from one place. But I do think, I think when we think of Gen Z and their their stances from an ethical point of view, it is important to them, but I don't think they're different than any other generation when it comes to, they need things quick too. They need things that are affordable too. They are, they don't have, you know, the disposable income that older generations have. So they are going to face the same challenges that every other generation has. And when we look at our data, um, we know that uh, consumers want, you know, speed and convenience. And we see that Gen Z shops at Amazon like the, every other consumer that um, has used that for the same reason of speed, two-day shipping. So we see that they use the same brands that we all use. Um, and they also look at brands that are maybe more niche and really hit their identity. So I think we're going to see them hit both ends of the spectrum. They're going to use those brands that are quick, convenient, affordable, but then there are also, and there was maybe more discretionary purchases are going to really put thought to where do I want to get this jean jacket from? And it's going to be from a place I really care about. Maybe it's a secondhand retailer. Maybe it's this brand that I really love. So I think we're going to see, it's not going to be their whole identity, but it will shape several of their purchases too. Yeah. I do worry a little bit about how much Gen Z consumers are being pummeled by, you know, the factors that are beyond their control. Um, So we had a piece written recently uh, titled COVID-19 reshapes U.S. needs for convenience and health. And our amazing uh, global food and drink trends analyst um, made the observation that, you know, 20% of U.S. adults say that their financial situation is tight, they're struggling, or they're in trouble. Um, And the hardest hit groups are those folks aged 18 to 24, so adult Gen Zs. How much of that financial reality will temper what seems to be sort of like a social expectation placed upon this generation to fix things for everybody else? Will that sort of create, you know, a certain degree of like Mm -hmm. resentment? Will that create a desire to consume in a very older generation sort of way? You know, when, you know, if there's a shift in financial prospects, will there be like an unbridled sort of sense of excitement to consume? 
just as they get older and have more disposable income. So to Sam's point, like, will their perspectives sort of change out of necessity to Diana's point as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's such an interesting point. So on that note, final question. Um, And I'm going to kind of wrap two questions into one to try and get it in. So how do we think brand loyalty is going to evolve in future? And on that note, we kind of touched on it very briefly before, but I do think it's really important. Um, With that, what role do we think technology is going to play in kind of brand loyalty? So thinking about fostering kind of brand relationships using um, things like technology, things like, you know, artificial intelligence to better understand your customers. I can lead with the, the first part too about um, where it's going to, where brand loyalty is going to head and then the role technology will play. I love talking about collaboration. And I think genuinely that is where we're seeing loyalty move towards of it's collaboration over competition in a way. I think brands of all sizes are realizing every brand is coming to the table with this expertise of something that I don't have. And it's significantly harder to start from scratch building that expertise when this brand already has the customer base, the operational setup, everything. So why not form this partnership of they're going to get our resources, we're going to have their resources, and we're going to come together to move forward. And inherently, that just builds loyalty because it's bringing together these audiences that have a passion for the brand. It's bringing to life something that they likely want, whether it's a sustainability initiative, a convenience initiative, it could be a variety of things. So it's just going to keep pushing um, innovation forward, but it also creates this ecosystem of loyalty because all these brands are working together, they're connecting the dots. Um, And I think once again, that's kind of where technology comes into play. It just connects those dots even more seamlessly. And I think one thing we're seeing brands focus on is what their value is, isn't necessarily the product that they're seeing. We're seeing a lot of brands realize, oh, our value is actually this unique proprietary technology we have that allows us to do XYZ. Why aren't we packaging that up and selling that as a value? So I think we're seeing brands really look holistically at what they have and nothing's off the table of what could be a value to a customer, a small business, maybe uh, another brand of equal size. But we're just seeing this holistic look at technology is valuable. And if we have this really great system, why are we keeping that to ourselves when we could use that more widely? So I think that's what we're going to see with technology for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. On that note, I've got a couple of really great beauty examples just to get them in there. We've got in, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's the Ren We Are Allies campaign, which again is, you know, five brands who are generally competitors in the beauty space coming together to work on sustainability initiatives and then on top of that another interesting example on that note of you know brands leveraging what they have built i think there's a great brand called by um by Essence, which basically developed a new way of um producing an ingredient that's commonly used in um, beauty and it basically created a brand to drive demand for that ingredient because it what it knew it was going to be a new kind of hero ingredient in beauty so i think yeah a couple of really interesting examples there so on that note i will sadly need to wrap things up for today as we've very much ran out of time but thank you all for joining us and thank you to diana and jane for joining me today if you want to know more about mintel who we are and what we do then head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media we are on linkedin instagram twitter and facebook and also check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts thank you again for listening please make sure you subscribe rate and review this podcast and if you like what you've heard today then please spread the word and look out for our next episode of mintel's little conversation 